is Short-Term Rental Management, the show that is all about short-term rental property management with your host, yours truly, Luke Carl. Here we are. We did it. We made it. And you guys are so good looking. It's a little intimidating. We're going to talk about insurance today on uh, the Short-Term Rental Management Show. And I have uh, Josh Tummel and Karen Kirkland. Josh is in the Smoky Mountains. Karen is in the uh, Emerald Coast of uh, Florida, which is also where I am right now. Um, and these folks are well-versed in uh, writing policies for short-term rental homeowners, not only homeowners, but also uh, obviously Karen's going to have a lot of input on what's going on in the uh, current state of Florida and uh, the state of the state of Florida and uh, and wind policies. And, and uh, we will also be covering umbrellas, et cetera, today. So Josh, if you don't mind, go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and that uh, basketball jersey that is behind you. <laughs> basketball jersey behind me. Um, <laughs> my name's Josh Tummel. I, I actually reside uh, in Maryville, which is in East Tennessee, right outside of the Smoky Mountains. Uh, in fact, from my office window right here, I got about five mountain ranges that, that I get to see. Uh, beautiful wife, Leslie, uh, two children, uh, Asher and Piper, 12 and 10, two dogs, and I live on about a quarter of an acre, but my family farm or my wife's family farm of about 40 acres. So I don't have to maintain that, but I get to enjoy it. Uh, so that's about it. Uh, insurance industry started in 2008 and, uh, and been with it ever since. Tell me briefly about your, uh, I would assume it's a brokerage. Uh, tell me about the company. How is it structured and uh, how long have you been with them and did you create it? Okay. So the, the name of our, our brokerage is called Third Door Insurance. And there are actually two owners. One owner lives in Nashville. One owner lives in Knoxville. They started it back at the beginning of 2019. So it's, I guess you could call it still in its infancy, infancy period. And then I joined in in September of 19. I was basically their first, their first agent that they brought on board. We are a small company. Uh, there's four total producers, if you include the two owners and a CSR uh, or an admin assistant. Uh, but we've, all of us came from larger insurance companies, uh, billion dollar companies. And so what we kind of saw was that we knew what it took to get here, but we lost the personal touch at the, the ground level in those large corporations. So what we're able to do is we're still able to provide the service of a billion dollar corporation or what it takes to get there, but now it's at the local level. When you say billion, what is that? Is that a billion? And because uh, I understand what that means for like a bank, but uh, you know, assets under management. But is yes. this a million dollars in a billion dollars in policies written, or what does that mean? Billion dollars in assets. Basically, okay. they're bringing in they're bringing in a lot of money. Okay, and so and they are they were larger larger firms, and they were actually larger carriers. But that's the thing too. We were captive, and so think of. You know, if if an agent only has one carrier that they can write through, that's all they have. And so all of us, all four agents were captive agents. So I'd worked for a carrier in the state of Tennessee. They were only in the state of Tennessee because I was an agent with them. I was only able to offer their policy. Same thing with the other three guys. And so it also got to a point where we were unable to help everybody we wanted to help because we only had one carrier we could operate in. We had a, a little saying that we had a box and if you didn't fit inside our box, we couldn't help you. And we, so therefore they opened the agency, independent broker. So now we can go and take it to all kinds of different carriers. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Uh, and uh, we're going to get so knee deep into this. Let me, uh, let's, let's jump into introducing Karen. Karen, you are right outside of Panama City Beach or Panama City proper? Yeah, just right outside Panama City proper, but it all runs in. So not far drive to the beach either. Wonderful. And uh, you, you do have your own brokerage. Uh, yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes, yes. I've been in insurance since uh, 1997, uh, going on about 26 years, and I very well understand the uh, captive market. 
Uh, my first 10 years of uh, experience was a captive agency. And those, again, are just if they have their sign outside, that is who you can buy through. So it's very limited. We told people no all the time. So in 2009, I started uh, an independent agency. So that's what we call them in uh, Florida or well-versed is independent agency where we can go out and market. We can help uh, many, many more people. So uh, it's much more freedom for the agent in order to help the customer. So I've been doing that for 13 years now on the independent side. Well, okay, new year. In June, it'll be 14. So I uh, love the independent side, can really help many, many more customers, especially when you're talking about short-term rental, stuff that is outside the box for the captive agency side. So and I love the flexibility. I love insurance and helping people. So it, it's great. So what I'm getting here is that uh, in, if it, within your business, uh, there's two different types of brokers or carriers, independent and captive. Is that fair to say? And independent uh, means that I can broker to any number of different carriers and captive means I'm calling Geico and I'm carrying Geico or something like that. Is that about right? Correct. Ca captive is you are limited by the sign outside your door. So if it's a national brand, you can only sell what that national brand allows you to and continue to push the brand that they want you to. It's, it's very limited. Can you give me an example of a certain, you know, I'm sure we've heard of these companies, but just to get the, you know. Oh, sure. Allstate, State Farm, uh, you know, I, I, Nationwide, um, you know, Farm Bureau. If they have the sign out front, then they're considered a captive agency and you have to go through that company in order to get approval to write outside that brand. Um, Is there any reason I would want to go with one of those companies? Do they often have a better, uh, I mean, you know, you, that's not what you guys do, but is there, is it a possibility I could get a better deal from somebody like that? Or what, what is, uh, you know, what is their primary flywheel? Like what, where are they, how are they getting business? You want to take that Josh? It, it all depends. Uh, and that's, I know that's probably not the answer you want to hear, but it, but it all depends. A lot of times with your captive agents and your captive agencies, they have a niche and they have their bread and butter, their go-to. And I was actually a Farm Bureau agent. That was where I started. I was a captive agent with Farm Bureau from 2008 until 2019. And we had our bread and butter. And so there was one, if and I knew if somebody called in, I could help them or they could not, or I could not help them. Uh, you have from a standpoint of, you know, what's, what's really good about captive agents is you really don't do have to do a lot of marketing on your own. A lot of times they have the big brand that will, and it comes with that. I mean, typically, I mean, let's be real. Everybody's here has heard of state farm, farm bureau, nationwide, all state. You probably haven't heard much about a lot of independent brokers or independent brokerages. So that's one of the huge benefits of a captive agent. And so can you get a better deal um, at times? I mean, it's it's also, if you think about it, that's why we also have, or you know, independent brokers have a lot of different carriers because a carrier may be really, really good for a couple of years in one market, but then all of a sudden they take a hit and their rates are not where they, where they wanna be or they should be. Well, independent brokers are able to shift and put into another carrier where if you're captive, it is what it is. Uh, and, you know, if I'm if I'm a Farm Bureau agent, I only have that Farm Bureau product. And so if my rates go bad or, or something of that nature, I'm kind of I'm there. I'm there. Uh, Kathy, anything to add to that? Uh, yes, I, I would like to say if you're an if you're with a captive agency, and you're an investor, you're going to outgrow their box. It is very good to have an independent agency on your side somewhere, because I have an example where uh, a, a customer came to me, was with State Farm, and they are an investor and you just keep buying houses and pretty soon it's just, you're not, the captive agent is not going to have the breadth of, 
of your uh, investment flavor, if you say. Uh, you have an investor that does a lot of short-term rentals or something like that, you're gonna outgrow captive agency very quick because that is very much outside the box. So if you have an independent agency with a lot of um, avenues, then you'll be able to grow with that agency and not have to jump from agency to agency looking for the product that you need to cover your properties. I actually experienced this personally when in the early days of my career, I started, I started my real estate investing in, in, in Tennessee. Uh, and I started with uh, Farm Bureau. Why? Because I bought a house to live in. I moved from New York City and I bought this house to live in, which was to me, that was even that was a foreign concept. And, uh, and the agent said, call Farm Bureau. They have great prices. So I called this Farm Bureau. And then next thing I know, I'm buying, you know, more houses and saving my pennies and putting these down payments together and the whole thing. And kept going back to this agent and back to this agent. And eventually they were giving me roadblocks. It just, they were hitting me like, no, we can't do this anymore. Um, and, uh, and I was finding ways to kind of make it work with them, like shoving the shoehorn in, you know, and, uh, and then really my, the last draw for me, at least with this was again, farm, uh, farm bureau, not to name drop, but why not? They're not here. Um, was that I moved, I moved and that was a deal breaker for them. They did not want to deal with anybody outside, especially I think farm bureau, Tennessee, Josh, you can probably uh, you probably know, I think it's separate from many of the, uh, like it has its own website, et cetera, than a lot of the other farm bureaus that are kind of lumped together. There's something weird going on there. So when I moved to, uh, I guess I moved to Florida, um, they, they were like, we're not going to insure somebody outside of the state that we operate in and outside of the state where these properties operate. Oh no, you know what it was? I started buying properties outside of Tennessee. And then eventually later on, I moved but it was that state thing that really hung them up. They were they were like, this is outside of our box. They were, it seemed to me that they were very conservative. And at that point, everything you guys are saying, I found to be 100% true. I had to go find, you know, somebody who had multiple carriers and really was basically just hip to the whole rental real estate. Like, hey, somebody besides me is going to be sleeping in this thing. And if you're not cool with that, I'm sure there's somebody out there that is. So, uh, uh, Josh, can you talk on that for a second? Yes, yeah, so so Tennessee Farm Bureau, uh, I will tell you they they were good to me, um, and and I still have very good relationships with a lot of their agents who send me a lot of stuff. I just want to throw that out there in in case something because and I'll be again to, to reiterate, I did have a very good experience. That the, the okay. agent I was dealing with was wonderful. He was a great dude. Uh, he became a buddy of mine, and they're they're they had very low rates. But um, it's anyway, I did outgrow it. I felt like, but. Uh, continue, Josh. <laughs> and in fact, one other thing, I always tell independent agents when they first start, go become friends with captive agents. Uh, it's just because they they don't if it doesn't fit in their box. They got to send it somewhere. So it's really, really oh. good for independent brokers, independent agents to have good relationships with captive agents. Just interesting. Throw, now, throwing that out there. What's the most common that doesn't fit in the box? Is it the rentals or uh, I mean, Farm Bureau will do a certain amount of rentals, won't they? They, they will, but you have to be domiciled in the state of Tennessee. Um, they don't do well without a state addresses, uh, whether you're an owner or, you know, or the tenant. They, so in Farm Bureau world, they are all their separate entities. So Tennessee Farm Bureau only has a license in the state of Tennessee. So if you are outside the state of Tennessee, you cannot have Tennessee Farm Bureau. Is and it like that? Is, it that? is that the case for all Farm Bureaus? Uh, I do believe so. Yes. Is that going to be the case for all farmers, all states, et cetera? Uh, or just, is that a Farm Bureau specific thing? It looks like Karen also has an opinion there. That That's that's a Farm Bureau specific thing, but a lot of times you can work hand in hand. So like state farm agents, I'll just throw state farm out there. State farm agents in the state of Tennessee, let's say they have somebody that's buying something in the state of Vermont they're able to, I'll say, co-op potentially with a state farm agent in Vermont and work hand in hand with them as it's still under the same heading. That's not the same in Farm Bureau world because every one of their states are all separate entities. Interesting. Uh, Karen, I, I feel like you were about to go ahead. Yeah, all, all separate entities. I write in the state of Florida only, even though I'm independent. In order for an independent agency to write in other states, then I need to have, uh, I just need to license myself in every other state and then find carriers in that state. So it is, 
if you have insurance, whatever state you're in, you need to have an agent also in that same state taking care of those properties. Interesting. Uh, uh, so any, even the, the independent brokers such as yourselves, it is, I don't know if dif difficult is the right word, but it's not that easy to move into multiple states is what you're saying. Correct. Are because you're looking for carriers in those states as well. And you're already, we're in Florida. I have many, many carriers in Florida and I may be able to write in Georgia, but I'm not going to have the same number of carriers because different carriers are in Georgia than what's in Florida. Hmm. Now, there are some places out there, there's a few large companies out there that can write multiple states. Is that true? I don't know if you guys have any familiarity with that. I think there's a few uh, out there. So she hit the nail on the head, though. So I can go, except for the state of Florida, <laughs> I can basically go and get a license anywhere in the United States. It's, it's a non-resident license. I can go and get one of those anywhere I need to go. And Is it get. difficult to get? $135. And not no big train. It's not like getting a real estate license. It's a, just a, okay. Nope. You just go and you just fill in through the website to get a non-resident license. Interesting. So I, so I can go and do that anywhere I want to. The problem is though, is you can run into a snag by not having the carriers in that state in order to write the business in that state. So you can, you can go through a large, I'll just say underwriting firm that's nationwide, but, and I have a license for a different state. However, if I don't have the access to that carrier in that state, it's not in the best interest of my people to mm -hmm. go through me. Mm -hmm. I got because, you. yeah, because there's just other hoops that have to be jumped through. It's all about wheelhouse. It's all wheelhouse. Like, uh, and this carrier probably doesn't have, you know, Florida carriers are obviously a whole nother thing. We're going to get deep into that here in a minute, but um, you know, certain carriers probably like certain States. So that's something to consider uh, there as well. If you want to buy a short-term rental in one of the best vacation markets in America, you're looking for the short-term shop. They are the experts in the vacation rental space. Their team of realtors are fantastic. If you use the short-term shop to buy your home, you'll have access to free classes with me to teach you how to get your property up and running. Join us at theshorttermshop.com. Brokered by EXP. Okay, uh, let's guys, let's talk about just buying a house, right? I'm coming in, I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy a cabin in the Smokies, right? What do I need? What kind of coverage am I looking at? Just a broad overview and, and Karen, I'll ask the same thing. Let's say it's a million dollar house in either one of your markets. Um, what, what do I need and what is all, what do all these numbers even mean? What do all these numbers mean? Um, you know, like what liability yeah. versus, you know, uh, yes. how much do I, you know, that stuff. Yes. So in, in my mind, this is my mind, the way my mind works is the most important piece of that equation is replacement cost. So you will hear all the time, um, it'll happen in Florida, it happens in the Smokies. You have your purchase price, you have your appraised value, and then you basically have your replacement cost. Insurance world, specifically in East Tennessee and in Tennessee, we look at what is it going to cost us to build your place back in the event that that thing is no longer there. So heaven forbid, burns down in a fire, blows away in a tornado, we need to insure this place, this home, for what it's going to cost for us to build it back. And so, you know, you're built, you're buying a million dollar home. There's a lot of variables that go with that. If it's 2,500 square feet, we can probably build in reality, we can probably build it back for less than a million dollars because you are paying for that location. And so that is where agents come in and know what they're doing and be able to kind of work through that process. But you're going to have your dwelling amount. So on top, we build back dwelling amount. You're also going to have what's your dwelling amount. What's, the, what's what, dwelling? Explain it that, to me like I'm three years old. Dwelling amount. How much is it going to cost us to build that structure back? Which is the same thing so, as replacement cost. Replacement cost. Same Correct. Thing. That's your okay, dwelling. got it. That's your house. So nothing else in it. Nuts and bolts. Just boom. That's it. The structure. So we have the structure amount. Then we have the contents amount. That's going to be all the stuff that's in the house that is not bolted to the walls. So three-year-old illustration, if you take that house and you pick it up off of its foundation and you pull the roof off, then you turn the house upside down and shake it, everything that comes out, those are our contents. 
Also, do I have to insure my contents? Like, let's say I got a short-term rental and this stuff's, you know, I mean, I replace this stuff every two years anyway. Why bother uh, insuring it? Do I have to insure it? You don't have to insure it, but it's in your best interest to insure it. Why is that? Because the cost per thousand on your personal property is pennies on the dollar, meaning you can insure $75,000 more than likely in all of your furniture, your belongings, and it may cost you $250 on your policy. So it's easier if a fire breaks out, we write you an additional check for $75,000 to replace your contents as opposed to you going out of pocket and replacing it. Karen, do you agree on the contents? Okay, well, we're, we're mixing policies here, it sounds like. Homeowners, homeowners will automatically come with the contents and you can reduce that contents amount to typically 25%. Every carrier will let you reduce a homeowner's contents policy to 25% of the dwelling amount. You cannot get rid of complete contents on a homeowner's policy. But what Josh is saying is that it's almost not really worth it to go down that far because it is a very inexpensive uh, part of the equation. Is that true or no? Well, it uh, might be a little more expensive in Florida. I okay. have been using, I have been reducing contents to 25% to help save money on these increases that are going on in Florida. Now to your question about your rental, your rental, you can by all means not cover anything inside. On a dwelling policy, a non-homeowner's policy, your contents amount is more than it is on your homeowner's policy. So you are actually saving hundreds of dollars on a rental or short-term rental if you don't want to cover the contents. Totally up to you. Um, we, we have some carriers where $5,000 worth of contents with replacement cost is $400 a year for, for just, you know, five to 10,000. So many of my customers want to save that $400 a year because it's already a $2,500 premium or more. And, you know, they're not worried about the, um, the, the uh, appliances. So right. Everything else is furnished. All right, hold on. I'm a little confused now. Now, talk to me about the difference between homeowners and rent and a rental policy. Like, if I, what are the technical names? Josh, you go take this for me. If I'm living in it, it's called what? And if I'm renting it, it's called what? So, if you're living in it, it is your homeowner's policy. Okay. That's your primary dwelling. It's your homeowner's policy. If you are renting it out, then it can be called multiple different things. I call it a dwelling lesser's risk. Means you own it and you're renting it out. And lesser as in what, what was that word lesser, there? Started with an lesser, L lesser, lesser's risk. What does that mean? You're renting it out. You're the owner. Like you uh, are the lessor, lessor, and you are you are the lessor, and you're renting it. Oh, to as in lease. Lessee. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yes. Uh, you're the yeah. landlord, or you right. call it landlord. a landlord policy. Landlord policy. You call it a landlord policy, Karen. It all, all the same, uh, dwelling. I call it a dwelling as well. Dwelling. Mm -hmm. uh, so what, what are the main differences there for uh, as me as the homeowner? I live in this one. It's got a homeowner's. I live in this one. It's got a dwelling. What, what are the technical, you know, the big differences? Liability is the biggest difference. Liability on a homeowner's policy follows you everywhere, everywhere you go worldwide, you have liability coverage. If something were to happen off of your premises, your homeowner's liability will come into play more ways than, than you, more ways than you realize. If you have a dwelling policy, that is premise only liability. So only at the address that that rental is at, that liability stays within that, those boundaries of that house. That's the biggest difference. And then others is loss of use on your uh, dwelling policy. So if your house was damaged beyond uh, the ability to have it rented while it was being repaired or replaced, you would get paid those rents, loss of rents. That's on a dwelling policy. And on a homeowner's policy, it's called loss of use while you go and live in a temporary location while your claim is being uh while your home is being repaired or replaced. Um, that's mainly. So if I live in it, it's called loss of use. If it's a dwelling rental policy, it's called loss of. Rents. Rents. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, pro- uh, premiums uh, between the two. Let's say it's the exact same house. What can I expect to pay in difference? These are going to be greatly different between the two markets here. So Josh, million dollar home, uh, homeowner policy versus dwelling policy. Uh, you don't have to give me an exact number, maybe a percent, you know, just uh, ballpark it. Um, hmm. There's so many variables that go yeah. into it. Um, which Okay, let me ask your, you this. Which your, one's higher or which one's lower? Your homeowner's policy that you live in, your primary dwelling, is typically going to be lower than a rental dwelling in my world. Okay. But how much? Significantly or anywhere from 100 bucks to, you know what I mean? Like, could be not very much? It could be not very much. Okay. And and there, there's, again, multiple variables that go into that. But when you're living somewhere, there's going to be different exposures, like different things you want to make sure are covered when you're living there as opposed to when you're not living there. So contents being the big one, you know, your your contents, your stuff, when you're living there, you're going to want to make sure that it is covered. When it's a rental, just like Karen said, you know, you can get rid of a lot of that, but also jewelry. Jewelry is a big one. Um, There's different ways to cover jewelry. Well, it doesn't matter if you're renting the place out. It doesn't matter if your jewelry is covered, but when you're there, there are potentially ways to pick up extra coverages for jewelry because you live there. Well, that's going to affect the premium. And then just to blow everybody's mind, if I uh, have a short-term rental with a dwelling uh, policy and I go sleep in it myself, my jewelry is covered by my homeowner's policy at the home I live in. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do I do I have the option to raise or lower my amount of jewelry uh, coverage on my homeowner's policy? Can I choose what that number is? Or should I get a third-party jewelry you know, uh, po- policy of some sort? It depends on the carrier. So some carriers can change it and some carriers will not. Okay. So if that's something I have an interest in that you would probably shop it to a carrier that would give me the option to have a uh, higher or lower uh, coverage on my, uh, what do they call it? Jewelry or do they call it gems jewelry. or jewelry? It's jewelry. Okay. Wonderful. Scheduled uh, personal property. Scheduled yeah. personal property. Okay. SPP on the homeowner's policy. And uh, my take on it is if you can find a jewelry company that will only write you a jewelry policy, then you can take the homeowners out of the equation and just go with the, um, put all of your jewelry on a separate policy. That way, if you need to file a claim, you're filing a claim on a jewelry policy, you're not filing a claim on your homeowner's policy. Interesting. Okay. Now, as everything we've said th- thus far uh, only only relates to single family homes, uh, once we get into commercial real estate, uh, do things change or it's, is it still, you know, like an apartment building or uh, mobile homes or, or storage units? Does that become a different type of policy or is that also dwelling? And it's, it's okay if it's not in your wheelhouse, but just wondered your, your take on that. It changes. It changes to something else. But commercial is completely different. Uh, mobile homes are similar. I have a mobile home specialist, so I do a lot of mobile homes. Um, And then storage units, I don't even have a policy for storage units unless you have a homeowner's policy. If you have a homeowner's policy, those storage units are automatically covered up to 10% of your dwelling amount off of your declarations page to cover the storage unit. But But that's the storage unit that you have your personal belongings in, not a storage facility that you own and rent. Right. Just, Correct. just okay. your personal storage unit. Interesting. So, but uh, if I wanted to do a mobile home park, uh, are you saying you do, Karen, your agency does the whole park? Like if I own the park or is it doing the mobile home? If I, if I live there in a mobile home, you're covering that. Both. Yeah. I, oh. I, I have both. I have both. I, and it's mainly just for the dwelling. These investors that have the home own park, own park, only want the, their dwelling uh, you know, just the home insured because they rent it. And most of those are going to be long-term rental. Very, very difficult to find any short-term rental carrier in Florida for a mobile home. So 90% of those plus are going to be long-term rental. Right. Okay. So it's safe to say that you guys are both, uh, uh, the, your wheelhouse is single family homes. For the most part, obviously, Karen, you have some other items, some other uh, products you can offer but if I want to venture off or maybe grow into into a multifamily situation or a, a car wash or something, then I'm going to find go out and find somebody whose wheelhouse that is. Is that safe to say? No, I do those too. Oh, you do car washes. 
I th- well, that's the joy of having an independent agent. I do a uh, commercial, I do condo, I do, you know, home, auto, life. I even do health insurance because when you're an independent agent, that's one reason why I loved it so much. I can go out and get the markets that I need to help the total portfolio of my customer. Interesting. Josh, what, what, is, what is your uh, coverage consist of? Commercials, my bread and butter. Oh, really? Commercial is my bread and butter. Yep. No kidding. Yes, sir. So- and when, when you say that, what, what are we getting? What, what do the, most of the deals look like? Well, well, I will tell you, I put majority of the short-term rentals on commercial policies. Okay. Well, now we're getting somewhere. Uh, and why is that? So now we've got homeowners, we've got dwelling, and we've got a commercial, which you can, obviously, it sounds like we can do this commercial policy for a single family home in the case of short-term. So explain why and how that works. Well, the reason that I do that first certain carriers will allow you to do certain things that others will not. Um, That's again, the joy of being an independent broker. Mm -hmm. I have a carrier that allows me to put short-term rentals on commercial policies. And the main reason I do that is because of the liability that it allows me to pick up as well as the, I'll just, just to keep it easy, the loss of rents definition that I then capture on commercial policies. Uh, is the Farm Bureau policy a, if I'm doing a rental a rental property property with the Farm Bureau or the Allstate, is that a dwelling policy, I would assume? It did. They have a commercial policy? They, they do now, I believe, offer a commercial policy. It's a newer thing. Okay, Karen, are you doing the same thing on a short-term rental single family home? Are you renting sometimes dwelling and some, or, or writing sometimes dwelling and sometimes uh, commercial or which, which one's your go-to? mainly my go-to is going to be a dwelling policy. It's going to be a standalone policy with an admitted carrier on a non-commercial form. Now I do have some investors that have uh, like 10 houses, almost like a mobile home lot. They just have a lot of houses, single family dwellings. And I do have all of those on a single policy for simplification um, because you have one policy then you're dealing with instead of 10 for each house you own. So that is on a commercial form. And the liability is actually on a separate commercial form and it offers more liability. But Josh, it sounds like this particular carrier that you're uh, having success with almost prefers to write these short terms on this commercial. Uh, and it's, it seems like it's easier for you because of the loss of rents uh, situation. Is that what's going on? Yes, sir. And and not only that, something becoming very popular in the Smokies are indoor swimming pools. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> and and there are not very many personal line carriers that are wanting a a swimming pool in the basement of a house. Yeah. Yeah, those are new for anybody uh, listening right now. This they, These are new. Uh, I mean, when I first, first of all, I own the longest run. I don't know if you know this, Josh. I own the longest running Airbnb in the Smoky Mountains. I've been around for a minute. Um, obviously, plenty of people on Verbo way before me because Ver- Verbo's been around in like 30 years now. But I've been around for a minute. So when I first started, what you're talking about did not exist. I mean, it was unheard of. There was maybe like two, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and now they're like uh, all the rage. So it's interesting that you uh, bring that up. And I could understand why a carrier would not want to cover an indoor pool. But it sounds like, again, with a commercial, it's almost like more like a hotel, like a hotel It's very common to have an indoor pool. It sounds like you're using a similar policy for one single family home. And that's how it's, uh, it's, it's probably easier to do it that way. Yes, sir. And okay. again, it goes, it goes by carriers as well. Um, because, you know, in Florida, Florida, I don't know how Florida operates, uh, but there's a lot of carriers in Florida that I have, I don't have access to, and I don't know what their guidelines are. Uh, here in Tennessee, I know almost all the carriers guidelines here. And when you start leaning into the swimming pool, that is where they want us to go towards. And well, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. I was say, and and what also the commercial policy allows us to do is it allows us to pick up a million dollars in liability right mm-hmm. there on the premise. And then that way we do not have to potentially tap into an umbrella to get that additional liability because it's going to be on their underlying policy. 
Okay, hold on, hold on on that for just one second. I do want Karen to cover her swimming pool story before we get into umbrellas and liability. Uh, Karen, I believe what you're probably dealing with more often is an outdoor pool. Um, and what? how do the carriers feel about outdoor pools if they feel anything? They are great. It, it is not a problem to have a pool. What a problem is, is to have a diving board or slide. If you have a diving board or slide, you're cutting your, uh, your property uh, choice to very few. And then even those few will either exclude the liability or limit it to 25,000. So no diving board or slide of a pool in Florida and you're good to go. Uh, in other words, uh, having an outdoor pool with no, no diving board or slide is really basically no change to the policy whatsoever. No, no problem. You do have to include the cost of that pool to the dwelling amount if it's on this, if it matches up to the same slab. For replacement purposes. Yes. So it increases uh, your dwelling coverage. Let's say somebody drowns in the pool. Any weird thing that happens uh, other than uh, do, like, in other words, maybe I forgot to disclose that I had a pool and somebody drowns in it. Then do I get in trouble or how does that no. work? No, you, you would still be covered. There's really no endorsement for pool. It just needs to be included in the replacement cost. If you want to get it replaced. Right. If you wanted to get it replaced, um, but you, you're still covered for that <clears throat> drown. Uh, insurance joke. I see. I feel. I feel like the uh, swimming pool is going to be the last thing to burn down, <laughs> but right. uh, I suppose it is possible, even though it's filled with water. Josh, the same thing for outdoor pools where you are. Yes, sir. Okay, let's cruise into liability umbrellas. Uh, Josh, you already uh, hinted on this. So we've already we've got our homeowner's policy at this point. We've decided whether we're going to go with a regular dwelling policy. Uh, again, this is a short-term rental. Um, uh, or we're going to do a commercial policy, which uh, neither one is right or wrong, sounds like. Um, and now we want to we protect ourselves even further from slip and falls and things like that. So we are moving into uh, liability slash umbrella. Are those, first of all, I guess, are those two names interchangeable? Yes, a liability policy is a standalone policy and umbrella actually needs to have underlying policy first in order for it to kick in. So on your dwelling policy, your you know commercial, whichever you have, you have in order to get an umbrella policy, you need to have liability for the carrier's uh, limit uh, minimum in order for the umbrella to kick in, like three hundred thousand. An this is umbrella be has my dwelling policy is what you're saying. You have to have, yeah, you have to have two policies for an umbrella just for a standalone liability. You can buy a million and not have a requirement for an underlying limit on your homeowners or your dwelling policy. That is a little confusing. Does that make any sense? Josh, uh, 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 clarify <laughs> what she's saying there. I, I do understand. <laughs> so in order for, let's see if we do it this way, in order for an umbrella policy to kick in, it the policy underneath it home, auto, whatever, has to be listed on the umbrella policy, okay? Or you can just buy a personal liability policy where it is protecting you no matter what happens. Is that without, more expensive? What's the, I mean, what, why bother with the umbrella if I can just do, do the liability? It's typically more expensive to do right. just a standalone liability policy. Is there a certain point in my career where I'm going to outgrow the umbrella and have to go to a liability, like say a high net worth indiv individual? Depends on the carrier. Okay. So so some carriers, I have access to a $10 million umbrella without, without tapping into anything else. Interesting. Needing... Strict underwriting on that? Is it going to be like a life insurance policy where they want a blood sample? No, it, it all depends on, on what you have underneath. Okay. The underlying policies. So that is called in the insurance world, it's called underlying policies. So what mm -hmm. policies are underlying underneath that umbrella? What is the umbrella sitting on top of? And it's my understanding that uh, we, uh, we want obviously the dwelling policy. We want the, um, uh, the, the homeowner's policy, uh, which could be called dwelling or commercial either way. And then we want the umbrella slash uh liability policy on top of that now uh correct me if i'm wrong we want a liability policy umbrella policy uh again they're the same thing but different 
uh, in the state where we have the rental property, let's say I have a cabin with Josh and the Smokies, um, and I live in Ohio. So I would want an umbrella in the state of Tennessee with that rental and any other rental I have in Tennessee underneath said umbrella. And then I would also want a lot, an umbrella in my in Ohio for my personal items. Is this true? You're, get, you're getting, Karen, do you want to tackle that or do you want I'll, me to tackle I'll, that? I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll jump in, then you can finish off. Okay. You can only buy an umbrella in the state where your primary residence is. Okay. So your umbrella carrier in the state where you your primary residence resides, you can add other your other ownerships in the other states to that as long as it's okay with that umbrella carrier. And that's where you'll have to make sure that they'll cover in other states and how many rentals they'll cover. So, so you're saying uh, it is possible to have my rental properties under the same umbrella as my personal belongings? I, I was not aware of that. Is that true? Personal umbrella policy. You, 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 on your personal umbrella policy that you get in the state with your primary residence. Ohio, in this case. Ohio. Yeah. It'll cover your Ohio car, cars and it'll ask you how many rentals you have on that policy. And if that carrier will allow out-of-state rentals, then those out-of-state rentals are covered. If it will Under not, that, then we need a, a liability policy in those uh, in that other state? For the location that will not be covered by your umbrella carrier, yes. But it would no longer be called an umbrella in that other state. It's now going to be a liability, or it could possibly be a, a uh, an umbrella as well. Liability. Josh, we're in agreement there. In the magical world of Tennessee commercial, <laughs> um, that you can have your own separate commercial umbrella on top of all of your properties in the state of Tennessee. So you in Ohio, right, you own six cabins in the state of Tennessee, right and they are on commercial policies. You have your personal umbrella covering your Ohio primary residence, right? Your, your automobiles, and then you can also then have a commercial umbrella covering your properties in the state of Tennessee. Got it. Okay, great. Uh, Karen, explain to me what a, an umbrella policy is for a three-year-old. It keeps them from getting wet. <laughs> <laughs> Not the umbrella for the three-year-old, but if I'm a three-year-old, <laughs> explain, explain my insurance jokes. I love it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, funny, funny. Low-level um, explanation of, a, of an umbrella policy. Okay. And um, insurance is in whole to, a, you're, you're deferring your uh, financial risk, your financial loss to a third party. So an umbrella policy protects your liability in the event you get sued for something, you're going to have to go through an umbrella million dollars before they get to your assets. So an umbrella policy protects your assets up to the amount that you buy. And you should buy an umbrella up to the amount of assets that you own or you need to protect. Um, that that that's pretty simple yeah that's um, very simple josh anything to add to that just because you said for a three-year-old um the illustration i use all the time <laughs> the illustration i use all the time is and i'm going to have pins here okay. basically on your policies that you have you have a stick of liability one pin long all an umbrella does is gives you a bigger stick of liability. Oh, all it does. Okay. All it does. Very nice. Does. I love it. Okay, she, so she's much. She, I was, I was just say her her explanation was a whole lot better than mine, though. But long story <laughs> short, we want the dwelling policy and the umbrella policy, correct? Yes. If we're, if we're doing rental real estate, the dwelling is really kind of not enough. Right. You're going to want to be covered. My, you're you're really limited to 300,000 liability a lot of times with these carriers. They may go up to half a million. 
but you can buy a million dollar additional a liability policy for $350 or so. It's not expensive. So you might as well protect your assets. All right, let's uh, let's close this out with a horrible conversation, which is uh, the state of Florida insurance uh, for the past two years. It's been going downhill uh, va- fast and uh, things are not getting better. I also live in Florida. We do a lot of business in Florida. Um, I own re- a rental real estate in Florida. Um, ever since uh, I w- the first time it was brought to my attention was when it was, I think it was FedNat uh, pulled out of the uh, market and left something like 60,000 people with no policy. Um, and ever since then, it has been an absolute disaster. So, Karen, can you give us a rundown of what has happened in the past two years and also where you think we're going in the future with this uh, with this situation? Yes, I will be happy to. Um, mainly what has happened is the litigation cost. Litigation cost is really what has come into play and ruined the market in Florida. And to give you an example, the entire, all of United States, the, all of United States, um, 76% of homeowners claims are from Florida. And only the rest of the states have had the rest of the claims. So oh my. Florida, yeah, so they've just been inundated with, with lawsuits. Now, from 2013 to 2020, over a seven year period, Florida's insurers has paid out $15 billion of insurance claims, litigation. And only out of that 15 billion, the homeowner only saw 8% of that money. So Uh it's all going to attorneys. And when you're paying, uh, you know, $3,000 for a, you know, $350,000 house policy, and then they get in a lawsuit and an insurance company ends up having to pay the attorney's fees because, because they had to pay a little bit more on a claim, they're, they're paying out millions of dollars on a $3,000 premium policy. So insurance companies can't, you can't do business that way. Any, I don't care what kind of business you're in. You can't create losses like that over and over and over and expect to be profitable to be able to stay in business in the future. And it all, in the last two years, that's where you saw all of these companies not being able to stay afloat because of losses like that. And so what great thing just happened and it was called uh these are called florida was a one-way one-way attorney fees meaning if you were brought to if you brought your insurance company to the court and the court said um okay on this fifty thousand dollar claim you should have paid sixty thousand so they don't just have to pay the other ten thousand they also have to pay the million dollars of attorney's fees whatever they charged to to settle that claim so the legislature just now finally it i don't know why it took this long they canceled those one-way attorney fees so that is just now relief that happened it just in december just you know a month ago it they just fixed that so the attorney's fees won't be, they won't be taking advantage of the system and advantage of that one-way attorney rule. Because you can see $15 million, I mean, somebody's taking advantage of it. There's many attorneys, it's all they did was sue insurance companies. So um, we won't see, I, we, I think that it will help the market a lot, but we won't know that it, for, for probably close to the end of the year or next year. Wow, I'm blown away. I just assumed um, that this was a hurricane-related thing, uh, which I maybe that maybe that's where it all kind of started from. But it sounds to me like you're you're maybe kind of pointing this thing more towards like lawyers trying to sue motor ac- motorcycle accidents and things like that. Well, it has to do a lot with homeowners, though. Homeowners' claims. It ha- it does have to do with the hurricanes in in so much as the the homeowner has been made feel that they can't take care of their own claim. 
So whenever a storm comes through, these public adjusters, these uh, attorneys, they're like, oh, we'll handle your claim for you. But they don't understand they're giving up their rights to their policy to this other party now. And so they can settle their own claim by themselves. You don't have to have an attorney. You don't have to have a public adjuster, which lengthens your uh, process of the claim enormously. Um, I mean, by years sometimes. So that's another reason why to have it an end or a local agent that'll help you through these claims, um, claims processes. I helped many, many people um, with, with their claim after Hurricane Michael and it, they didn't have to get a public adjuster or an attorney, but it, so any claims, it's not, not just auto claims. It, it's mainly is homeowners claims. Mm. A lot yeah, Michael obviously was absolutely devastating, but I'm thinking, I'm sitting here thinking you got what, 20 million people living in the state of Florida. And, uh, it's not like hurricane. The thing that blows me away is not hurricane hurricanes are not brand new. You know what I mean? These things have been around since the beginning of time, since before these houses ever even thought of dreamed of existing, you know? So how, how has it gotten worse? as the hurricanes don't seem to be, you know, I mean, maybe there's some sort of statistic out there that hurricanes are X percent worse than they used to be, but it's definitely not, uh, it's not on par with how terrible the insurance has gotten compared to, you know what I mean? It's, it's absolutely right. out of control. I, now talk to me about these rules. I'm going into Florida right now to buy a house. Uh, what, what are the, I mean, I hear all these things about the age of the roof, age of the home. Uh, what, what, what where did these rules come from? And are all the carriers, uh, uh, sticking to them, and what are they? Well, each each carrier has their own set of guidelines, and in Florida, roofs are a, a a big item. So now, most of the carriers in Florida want you have a roof that is ten years or newer, in order to even consider the policy. How long has that been going on? That again, that just changed in the last two years, and. Is it going to get better? I mean, because that's ridiculous. A ten, I, I, metal. These are all metal roofs, by the way, for folks that are listening. You know, ninety percent of them are metal on the beach, or at least where we are. And a, a, a nice metal roof should last you at least thirty years. You know, so I got to go out and spend all this money on a, it. Was maybe forty, fifty years, really. And then I can't even get insurance. It's ridiculous. So, is that going to get better? Okay, let me let me take that back. Each construction roof has a different time limit okay so shingle roof is going to be 10 your metal roof is is going to be closer to the 20 or 30 and you can get inspections showing that there's a you know how long the life left is and some carriers will consider an inspection if it's in good condition um but yes i that may be getting better what what we need to get better are the is the age of home right now most of our carriers in florida have either stopped writing older homes or they're only writing 10-year newer homes 20-year newer homes so we need that to loosen up to go so we have more carriers that will write older than 20 years so the more choice we can give our customer you know, the better off it is. But we are heading in that direction. It has no choice but to get better. To tell me I can't buy a home that's more than 20 years old in the state of Florida is ludicrous. I mean, it's it's insanity. First of all, that that hurricane is it's it survived hurricanes. So I should I should get a discount for buying that house that's 20 years old. I hear that all the time. It, it's been through all these hurricanes. It should be less, yes, but the codes keep getting stronger and stronger. So that's where. Oh, they're so they're saying that they're they're built better now is what they're saying. Okay, that does make sense a little bit. Um, okay, interesting. Speaking of all this claim talk, guys, uh, talk to me about what happens if I do file a claim. Let's say I have a water a washing machine that springs a leak in the middle of the night and floods my house, and I call you. I, I do a claim. It costs me my deductible to get the whole job fixed. Um, uh, does that does that claim stick with me? Is it on my record and for how long and how does that work? Josh, take it. Me take it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so from a how long does it stick with you standpoint, it actually differs again from carriers. Some carriers will look at three years. Some carriers will look at five years. It will be with you. It will follow along with you. However, 
if you, especially in the rental world, because I know that's what we're looking at, a, a claim on a rental house with a lot of carriers does not carry the same weight as your primary home. So if you have a theft at your primary home, that's going to stay with you and affect you differently than if you had a roof blow off of a rental house. At least that's the way it is with a lot of my carriers. So, but yes, it will follow you. Um, it can affect you. There's not a certain percentage that I can throw out of how it does affect you from a financial standpoint. But I've also seen it not really affect folks that much. And that's the big thing as well from, a, from an independent broker standpoint. If one of your carriers, it can affect you much greater with one carrier than another carrier, well, your broker can go in and know how that affects you and can move you around. It sounds to me like it's similar to an auto claim. I get in a total loss or I have a over 20 speeding ticket and neither of those things have ever happened to me. Uh, is it safe to say it's a very similar where it sticks with you, it will roll off and it could possibly affect your policy if you make some changes or something like that? Definitely. It, can it make your price, let's say I do the, the, the flood and I do a file a claim, to, can it make my price go up per month, uh, Karen? No, that, it doesn't typically make your price go up for having a claim. It just makes you ineligible to get a new policy with that carrier. So again, you're shortening, you're closing that box of who you qualify for if you go look for another carrier. Uh, another policy, meaning if I want to buy another house, uh, is that what you're saying? Well, another house, or if you want to say they say the rates went up on that house that you had the water claim and you want to shop that house for a better price insurance, well, you might not be able to uh, if because of that claims following you. So you it, it, in Florida, that claim will follow you whether or not it's rental or a homeowner's policy. Do they do that because they just gave you a bunch of money for this claim and they don't want you to jump ship and take your money to another policy, I would assume is what's going on there. Well, I, they, they see if you have one loss, you're going to have another one. So they don't mind seeing you go. <laughs> oh, well, there's that too. That too. Uh, well, guys, at the end of the day, what we're talking about here is rental real estate. And the greatest thing about rental real estate, one of them, one of many, uh, as opposed to uh, any other sort of investments out there, investments, if you will, uh, stock market, uh, et cetera, you can put an insurance policy on it. Uh, that is the beauty of rental real estate. One of the many reasons why this asset class is so fantastic. Uh, you cannot insure Apple stock. You cannot insure any sort of uh, money market or stocks and bonds, right? Uh, but you can insure uh, a house, and that is uh, the beauty of, uh, of what we got going on here. All right, guys, I'm going to ask you one question and then we'll call it a day. Josh, have you uh, any books that you've read recently that you enjoyed? We'd love to hear about it. Oh, gosh. Oh, it's um, it's the compound effect. Oh. I, love, I love the compound effect. And so I've tried to implement that here this year. And um, but I really enjoy the compound effect because the reality of it is it's easy to implement. Darren Hardy. Yes. Fantastic book. And we can find you in East Tennessee in the Smoky Mountains. You are writing uh, policies for uh, rental cabins, which is wonderful. And uh, we hear nothing but great things about you. How do I find you and, uh, and your company? Oh, goodness. Uh, phone is the easiest. Uh, I, obviously, you can call me on my phone. Uh, but thirddoorins.com. And then my email, T at thirddoorins.com. And, right, and I can get my cell phone number. I mean, that's if you what want I have. to. All right. And my cell phone number, 865-803-2268. If you don't get me, please leave a message because it's my only there's no office phone. So now I'm this guy's a pro. Here. This guy, this is a pro right here. He's giving out his cell phone on a, on a podcast going out on the internet. I love it. Fantastic. <laughs> and Karen, a uh, decent book, of a book that you enjoyed recently. Well, I love my Bible. I'll have to tell you, I love my Bible. It's food for me. So he, the sun sets free is free indeed. So. Amen. All right. Yeah. I love it. Now, wonderful. And, uh, and how do we get a hold of you? Where again, remind us where you operate. Uh, and obviously, short-term uh, rentals, uh, rental real estate is is in your wheelhouse. So, how do we get a hold of you? Uh, I'm Karen Kirkland with Kirkland Insurance Agency. 
My email is karen at kirklandagency.com and my office number is 850-784-7974. Are you and in the entire, give me a, a length of area. Where do you operate? Uh, like from oh, the entire state of Florida. The whole state. I, again, the, the whole state. The panhandle is probably my specialty, but I can write in the, in the entire state of Florida. Yes. All right. Wonderful. Well, you guys are fantastic. I loved every second of it. Thank you so much for coming on and, uh, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging with us. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoyed it Thank as well. Thank you for having us.